Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. Today, we are here with Hannah Seymour. She has been working with and mentoring high school and college students for over a decade. She is the author of The College Girls Survival Guide, which is a highly entertaining book. She goes through a list of a bunch of questions that she typically gets from college students, everything from faith-based questions to how do I deal with my roommates. So lots of cool answers in there but really interested to talk to her about how parents can apply this knowledge to helping kind of guide teenagers, especially guiding teenagers in their social relationships and how parents can get engaged more deeply in teenagers' social relationships and then how we can provide teenagers with the right kind of guidance to help them make lots of friends and to make the right kind of friends that will set them up for happiness and success later in life. So really excited to talk about all that and more here today. So I started working in higher education over 12 years ago now. And about three years into that career, I noticed that a lot of my students were really grappling with both the faith, the Christian faith they had been raised with, but also just who their parents were and who they had grown up in light of who their parents were and trying to decide then, well, who am I? And do I really believe what my parents have raised me to believe both certainly in religion, but also in politics, also in just like ways of life and priorities and that sort of thing. So what was interesting, since I personally come from a Christian faith background, I was watching my students really grapple with the Christian faith. And many of them truly couldn't articulate why they believed what they believed. And so over Mm -hmm. several years of, of course, being exposed to lots of different thoughts and beliefs and which all of that is so good and part of the college experience. Um, But they really started to walk away from the Christian faith they had been raised in because they didn't know why they believed what they believed. They couldn't articulate it. They didn't have a solid foundation. And so I thought, man, I would love to start working with high school students. And if I could just graduate 12 girls, I mean, it just kind of threw out a random number. But if I could graduate 12 girls – who really knew why they believed what they believed before they went to college, I think I've done it. I like made a difference on this earth and, you know, that can be the end of it. So I like that. I started mentoring high school girls and leading a uh, church, a small group and kind of started that process. And so over then, I don't know, let's say fast forward another probably five years I was still working in higher ed, still working with college students full time, but had this, you know, weekly small group of high school girls. Of course, I was meeting with them Mm. one on one and coffees and that sort of thing. And as I started graduating my crop of high schoolers (laughs) into college, uh, two things started happening. One, I wanted to give them a book that would help them 
in that transition. And I wanted to give mm-hmm. them a book that had a faith-based perspective, but that wasn't like overbearing, overwhelmingly biblical, something that f- for some of them I think needed to just be a little softer and kinder and uh, easier for them to swallow at that point in life. So anyway, I, I kept looking and there just wasn't – I didn't find anything that I loved. And then mm-hmm. in that same situation – Weekly, I would get somewhere between two and three emails from this small group of girls who had graduated. They were now freshmen at colleges all across the country, and they were emailing me. Basic, basic things, Andy. Uh. Things like, um, so my roommate and I were getting along swimmingly, and it's a month in, and we haven't spoken in three days. Like, what do I do? To, um, I've dreamt of being a nursing major my whole life, and I'm already really struggling in this biology class. Like, I don't even know if I want to major in this anymore. I mean, things that you and I know are so typical to the college experience, but that are earth shattering to them at the time. And so I found myself spending probably like an hour on each email each week. So two to three hours, two to three emails, two to three Uh... hours a week responding to these girls. And when they all came home from college during Christmas break, I sat them down and said, okay, look. I love your emails. I love responding to your emails, but I have a I have a proposal. What if I took your questions and I made them a little less details, a little more applicable to all, post mm-hmm. them on a basically write a Q&A. Dear, it was called Dear Hannah at the time, a Dear Hannah blog. Uh... Um, but I can answer your questions. But I think that the, even just the 12 of you would really – benefit from seeing one another's questions and answers. A, knowing you're not alone. B, knowing I'm probably answering the same question that you're going to ask me three weeks later, you know, whatever. But just kind of for like our little small group community. And then before I knew it, you know, I would answer their question one week on the blog and they would share it with all of their college girlfriends at their, you know, Mm. new community. And those girls would share it with their old high school friends. And I mean, Really fast, I started getting email questions from girls all over the country that I had never, of course, never met. I'd never even heard of some of the colleges that they were at. I mean, it was really fun, just unexpected, organic, whatever. So all of that to say, at the end of blogging for probably about two years, just on college girl questions, I thought, I think this is the book that I've been wanting to give my graduating seniors like, I, I think this is it. And so kind of started shuffling through, like, how do I distill all this down and ended up writing a book with it's it really is a culmination of both that blog and then in-person conversations that I've also had with college women over the last decade. But yeah, 52 of their top concerns and kind of my answers to those issues. And so, OK, you uh, mentioned this a couple times already just going through there that one of the things you really wanted to be able to communicate was you said, oh, yeah, I mean, to us, it's obvious that these are typical things that everyone deals with. But at the time, to a college student, no, this seems like, oh, uh, oh my God. And I, I thought that it was interesting to see that one of the big themes of your book seemed to be, you know, you're normal. This yes. is normal, what you're going through. Yes. And it's funny because we find the same thing in our research, which is that 
when we can help kids to understand that they're normal, like we do research on alcohol. And when we just like show kids that, Hey, actually 33% of your classmates don't drink at all. Like yep. it's normal. Yep. You're, I, I know you feel like you're alone and like you're the only one who's like not, but, but it's, you're not. Right. There's tons of kids out there who are struggling with this same situation of, Oh, do I drink? And I'm being pressured to. Yes. And, and, and so we found scientifically just by, Making people aware of that, yes. it changes their behavior then. It changes their attitude. Totally. So I love that you weave that through the book. And Thanks. I wonder how there are ways that parents, and from your perspective, which is coming out from a different angle than the research perspective, of how you can do that to kind of help teens to see that they're not alone mm. and that these are, are typical problems. Yeah, that's such a great question. I, you know, I think the parent teen dynamic and communication and relationship probably differs a lot from household to household. Um, But I think for parents that are just really genuinely trying to help their kid in navigating that transition, maybe you have a junior or senior in high school and you're preparing to send them off to college. Some of that I think is just sharing, if you went to college, sharing your own stories. And I think about Mm. how little I knew from my own parents. And I'll never forget my mom told me, gosh, I bet I I was in grad school or later when she told me two really pivotal stories from her college experience. And my immediate response was, Mom, I wish you had told me that when I was like 16. I mean, Ah. but so some of that I think just gives a nice connection to where once I'm in college and I'm experiencing some things, if my mom or dad have shared with me that this was a struggle or this was a huge pivot point for them, or it makes it easier for me as that 18, 19, 20 year old to come back and talk to mom and dad about it. Yeah. But yeah, I think what you're saying, it's just, I think we all need to be reminded whether we're teens or 20 somethings or 30 somethings or 60 year olds, for goodness sake, like, you are not alone. Nothing that you're experiencing is unique to you. And and I don't know, maybe we've grown up in a culture where we're trying so hard to be special and unique that we have kind of let that become a lie that we believe in in dark places. Like what you're saying with teens who they feel like they're the only ones that aren't drinking and partying on the weekends. Well, we know that's not true, but I don't know. I think we just all, we all fall victim to that in different areas of our lives. I like what you say about sharing stories of what happened to you, mm-hmm. because for one thing, I think it's so human that we learn in stories and mm-hmm. that, that, that sometimes the best way to teach someone a message is through a story. And I think it's funny that the texts that have survived for, you know, thousands yep. of years are things like Aesop's fables, the Bible, yep. these books where there's small parables that it's not just like, hey, here's what to do. Here's how to live. It's like, hey, here's a story of someone who's dealing with something probably kind of a lot like stuff that you're dealing with, you know? Yeah. And so it's cool. And I, but I think it's hard for parents to share kind of stories, especially if it maybe doesn't make you look good or sure. um, like, like we feel like we have to put on this kind of, we're such perfect human yeah. beings or, or something like that. Right. But I think those are the most valuable ones. I, I mean, 
Okay, this is going to sound ridiculous, but in college was really the first time that I started seeing my parents as sinners, if I can use a really religious Christian term. Ah. Um, and looking at them and going, oh, wow, I don't I don't like that that's a response that you have often. Or I don't like that that – like I really started ah. – especially my mom started nitpicking and seeing her in a negative light. And I think once I got like, hey, my parents are – imperfect people (laughs) and they work really hard to do things right to raise me right to love each other well you know to to do all these things well Mm. but i needed to see as a young adult that they need grace and they are allowed to be imperfect just like i want to be allowed to be imperfect and just like i need grace and so i think parents sharing with their teen stories of how they really screwed up in high school and college. I know that's hard. I know we want to be perfect parents, but I think that those are often way more impactful stories and conversations with your kids than, you know, some great success story about yourself. Yeah. I I noticed that throughout your book, you tell stories Mm -hmm. and you use those to kind of illustrate points and it's powerful. And one that really stuck with me was you talk about how you had this kind of career preparing kids for the music industry and Mm -hmm. that you you noticed something really interesting which was that uh, students tended to kind of run in groups so like kids who were in there would be like a whole group of friends that all kind of graduated and went on to all have successful careers in the music industry and Mm -hmm. then there'd be another kind of group that all graduated and didn't find success and would all say, oh man, nobody's able to get a career. Whereas yep. the other kids were saying, oh yeah, it's easy. Everyone can get it. Yep. And again, this is like one of the themes in our research is like, especially during the teenage years, how strongly we're influenced by our immediate peer group. Yes, And uh, so it was cool to see your experience with that. And I wonder then w- what you found was helpful. And if there's an application there that parents can use to if they see maybe hmm. their kid with the wrong peer group or just to kind of like make your kids aware of it in like a non-judgmental kind of way or something like that. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so in the book, I really hammer in, I think a lot throughout it, that we know the old saying, you are who your friends are, but that it really goes way deeper than just, you know, if you're friends with good people, you'll be a good person or, or if you're friends with rule breakers, you'll be a rule breaker. Gosh, I'm trying to think if even I would have been able to wrap my head around the people I was surrounding myself with in high school, how they impacted the trajectory of my life mm. and and what my parents could have said or done or not said or done that might have aided that. Oh, I don't know, Andy. That's so um, – that's tricky. That's interesting to think about. You've to- you've stumped me. <laughs> I mean, I guess again, to be a total broken record, going back to the power of story. So if you as a parent mm-hmm. have stories of how your high school friends did or did not encourage you and, you know, help you transition well into life and adulthood or make help you make good decisions. And then I th- I do think showing interest, I think if I reflect on my own relationships and my parents and the way that they 
interacted with my friends, my parents were really hands-on with my friend group. And I don't mean that in like a helicopter way, but they just showed interest. When friends came over, whether it was the first time a friend came over to the house or they had been over a hundred times, my parents were asking about them, like, how are you? What's going on in your life? Or if they'd never met them before, like, Mm. tell me about yourself. What do you do? What do you like? Tell me about your parents. What do they do? And both of my parents, interestingly, really... How do I say this? Okay, I would come home from high school and there would be four guys sitting at the island in my kitchen talking to my mom while she cooked. And (laughs) I'd be like, oh, hey, guys, like, what are y'all – like, thinking they're there for me. Like, oh, hey, what are you guys doing? And they would say, like, oh, you know, we're talking to your mom, whatever. I'm like, okay, well, I can't hang out right now. I have to go do, you know, X, Y, Z. And they would say, oh, yeah, that's fine. We're not here for you. And literally, (laughs) they would have shown up and – both of my parents really ended up being surrogate parents for a lot of my friends. And these these friends mm. had great parents. Th- this is not that they were, you know, coming from a scenario where they didn't have parents that loved them and listened to them and communicated with them. But I think it's rare when other adults show interest in, in yeah. teenagers that aren't their own. And so mm. my friends were really attracted to that. And they wanted to sit down with, you know, my mom or dad to say – okay, this is going on. How do I deal with this? Or this happened. How do I tell my mom? That was a lot, I think, of my parents' conversations with my friends. Like, how do I uh, how do I explain this to my parents or how do I talk to them? And so even that, hmm. to kind of circle back, or, circle back around to your original question, my parents cared about and invested in all of my friends, but I knew which friends my parents, quote unquote, approved of and which ones that like maybe weren't their favorites, for, you know, of uh. mine. But, yeah, yeah. but they never showed it to that friend. You know, they didn't show it to the person. Sure. But but I think that encouraged me in a like completely subliminal way of who to be hanging out with and spending time with and who, uh, you know. But my parents never said, like, you can't hang without a person or don't, you know, they're a bad influence on you. But I think they saw their role as like, okay, we can either step in to these relationships that our daughter has and try to, you know, cultivate trust and communication with those kids or um, – yeah. Or push them away and, and they chose the former. I like that a lot. It's like becoming <laughs> engaged in your teenagers' social relationships yeah. and social groups on a deeper level. And it's funny because this really smart woman that I had on the podcast recently, Dr. Deborah Gilboa, was talking about how she recommends that you treat your kids' friends with exactly the same rules. If they're in your house, they follow the exact same rules as your kid, which means, uh, you know, oh, hey, the garbage needs to be taken out. Hey, uh, could you, can can you take this out? Like, hey, you, you start washing these dishes. Hey, you like, even to the point of like, hey, Saturday morning, I'm looking for some kids to help me, like, you know, muck out the stable back there. I'll cook you guys breakfast or whatever that she was like, well, actually, you'd think this would like push the Uh -uh. friends away and they wouldn't want to hang out at that house, but actually it had the opposite effect that people then start to kind of see your house as like the place that we can go yeah. and that we can hang out. And That's there's something cool about that. so funny because anecdotally, I like immediately a friend's family, but specifically her father came to mind as someone who did that to me. My whole life I grew up like helping with mm-hmm. – if I slept over at her house Friday night, you better believe I was doing yard work at their house Saturday <laughs> morning. Or, and I mean he would wake us up in the morning. like And to this day, uh, I mean I call him Papa yeah. Bob. Like he is – He's another father to me because yeah. not I mean, not only was I at their house a lot, but like they 
they just, I was another one of their kids. They had four kids and they were all teenagers at the same time. So four teens in the house, two boys, two girls. And we, I mean, we were there and functioning as part of that family. (laughs) Chores and all. I think there's something going on there too, where it's like, as a teenager, if I know that any friend I get is going to come to my house and my parents are going to basically bring them into the family, you know, then I'm going to, that's some pressure that I want to bring home friends that are kind of like you said, Uh like if if that's what you do as a parent, then it's like you're saying, you don't necessarily have to be so, oh, well, I don't like that friend very much. And right, right. It's just by nature of knowing I'm going to like, you know, what kids or parents like and what kids they don't, right? It's the ones who have the same values that the family kind of has. And so uh, that's cool. Thanks for listening to the Talking to Teens podcast. If you have any questions or just want to connect, you can always reach me by email, andy at talkingtoteens.com. We'll see you next time.